So Psalm 23, if you want to turn there with me today, and we can read it together. It's a really familiar psalm. I've read it a lot to, uh, to people who are in a hospital bed, to people who are honestly about to cross the threshold from this life into the next. This is a psalm that's really familiar to them and very comforting to them. But honestly, you don't need to wait until you're dying <laughs> to benefit from this psalm. This is a psalm that's meant to be, uh, to be a, a, a mantra, to be your motto for all of life. God wants you to view him the right way and view yourself the right way. He's our shepherd. We're the sheep of his pasture. And he's got a good life for us. It's a much better life than we would choose for ourselves. It's a much better life than what we're hearing about from whoever has your ear this week. So look with me at Psalm 23. I want to read it. And then we'll jump in the message. Psalm 23. And it's on the back of your bulletin. Or you can scroll to it, whatever device you have. Or you can just follow along on the, on the overhead here. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, part of my responsibility as a pastor is... To know the times in, in which we live and, and breathe and move and have our being. And honestly, kind of to have my finger on the, on the cultural pulse of you and of our nation. So that I can speak truth to you in more meaningful ways. So that I can serve you better. So that I can serve myself better. And honestly, so that we can reach the outsiders that we exist here to reach, right? We are the church where the insiders exist for the outsiders. And so I want to know all the issues that are facing this congregation in, in 2020. And I want to know the issues in the culture that, that you're struggling with and that you need help with. And I think that we are, as we always have been, we're facing a tremendous cultural challenge. Charles Spurgeon used to say that preachers ought to read their Bibles and they ought to read their newspapers. And in that order, <laughs> the order is important. Well, this is not going to be a shock to you, but listen, guys, all the experts and the scientists and the surveys and the polls and the Barna researchers, they're telling us that today in 2020 in America, people are more anxious, they're more lonely, they're more fearful, they're more confused, they're more depressed, they're more angry, and they're more exhausted than they've ever been before. Have you heard that? <laughs> Have you experienced that? That's what the experts tell us. And I know that there's no new evil under the sun, but it seems like we have a lot more metrics today to measure this kind of thing. For one, just statistics for suicide. Did you know that they have doubled in the last two decades? They've doubled. And did you know those same numbers of people taking their own life have tripled amongst teenage girls, well, not teenage, preteen, ages 10 to 14? Now, that's just shocking to me and alarming and staggering to consider that. 
people are experiencing more mental health difficulties, more people are on antidepressants, and I'm not at all judging that because they're, that that's, can be a means of grace, a means of common grace that God gives us as physicians and medication, and sometimes our bodies need help. You're not going to hear any judgment from me on that at all. But the statistics are more people are taking antidepressants today than they ever have been. And a lot more people are self-medicating on alcohol and different kinds of enslavements and addictions to prescription drugs. But I would say in a word, people are more anxious than they've ever been. And they're more afraid. Anxious and afraid. And because of that, I cannot think of a better place to go than Psalm 23. It's one of the shortest psalms in the Bible and it's one of the most powerful and again, you don't have to wait until you're sick in bed because, listen, we all have a, a state of sickness that we're in and out of at any given time, even as a believer, right? So question, is there anything right now today that you're afraid of? Then you need this psalm because that's the declaration of the psalmist, right? He says some things about God. He confesses some things about himself. And he says, because of these things, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. So I want to be fearless, do you? I need what he has. David was probably a king when he wrote this. And even kings need the things that he was given by God. Even kings need to be shepherded. So are you afraid today? Well, here's another question. Are you comforted today? Do you feel comforted today? Would you use that word to describe or fill in the blank? In my life today, I feel comforted. Because the psalmist here is. He's comforted. He's fearless. He feels loved. He feels helped. He says that his cup is running over. Would, you, would that be the description of you this morning? You're like, Pastor, my cup is stinking running over. The goodness that God is pouring into my life is like spilling out on the floor. I need to share it with other people. Is that you? Fearless, comforted, mercy and truth pursuing you. Thank you. We've got one guy in here honest. Right? <laughs> a lot of people would say, no, no, Pastor. Honestly, it's not. It's not. And I need help. Well, the good news is God wants to help you. He wants to meet you where you're at. God understands. He understands. This is a simple psalm of trust. And it's especially relevant for us in, in a presidential election year where people are already crazy off the rocker. <laughs> Seriously, already. It's so early in the presidential election and already the rage, the anger, the hate, the confusion. And there's this strange virus that's breaking out and people are absolutely losing their mind. Man, we need this psalm. Don't we? Thank you guys for being here, by the way. <laughs> I seriously, I have nightmares and I wake up and I'm up here preaching and like one of my kids and my wife is out there and that's it. <laughs> but you guys keep coming, you show up. Thank the Lord. One writer said this, he said, there is no psalm in which the absence of all doubt, misgiving, fear, and anxiety is so remarkable. Have you ever just really looked this, at this psalm? A lot of the psalms, they seem to be almost riddled. Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, wake up. God, where are you? What are you doing to me? I'm in darkness. I'm in doubt. You don't find any of that here. There's no anguish. There's no doubt. There's no fear. There's no misgiving. Man, we need this. I need this. And the, really, the whole point of this, honestly, guys, the whole point of the Bible is about Jesus. And what did Jesus call himself in John chapter 10? He said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. He was not afraid to identify himself with one of the lowest ranking occupations and identities in Israel. Shepherds were not esteemed very highly. And Jesus said, not only am I a shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. And I will lay down my life for the sheep. Did you guys know 
that that statement is right next to, I have come so that they may have life, more what? Abundantly. Did you know that's right next to Jesus confessing, I'm the good shepherd? I'm the good shepherd and I have come so that they may have a more abundant life. And that's why this psalm, the title of the sermon this week and next, is the good life. The shepherd wants you and I to live the good life. This is like the recipe for the good life. This is the way. And I cannot think of a more counter-cultural psalm, honestly, uh, to what we're experiencing in the culture than this. Because this path is so counter-cultural. It is so counterintuitive. It is so upside down, or maybe it's right side up, depending on who you're listening to. This is a psalm about how to live the good life. And it's a different path than the world will tell you to take. So how do we get to the good life? Well, I got three points, but I'm only going to get to one today. For once. Just one point today, guys. That's it. So point number one uh, is who's got your ear. If you're going to be living the good life, there's three questions I want to ask you. And listen, if you're not going to be honest, it's not going to help you. If you're just going to posture and pretend like, I'm all good, pastor, Psalm's not going to help you. You've got to be honest. Who's got your ear? Who's got your back? And who's got your heart? Because this psalm answers all those questions, at least who should. And so here is point number one, okay? Who's got your ear? Who's whispering those seductive promises in your ear about who you should be, who you need to be, what you got to be? You should be angry. You should be afraid. You should panic. Somebody has your ear. You're tuning in to somebody. Listen, God hardwired us. It is into our DNA. It's hardwired in. We can't help it. We're going to find a shepherd. God made us to have a shepherd, and we will find a shepherd. Everyone in this room has found a shepherd for yourself, or a shepherd has found you, and they've got your ear. They have got your ear, and they're in your head. Their voice is banging around in your head, and if it's not telling you the things that this shepherd is telling you, there's a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Who has got your ear? This is one of the most beautiful imageries in all the Old Testament. That God, the Lord, is our shepherd. That's the covenant name for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. That's the name he revealed himself to his people with. It's his covenant-keeping name. This is the God who relates to you and I on the basis of a promise, a one-way unconditional promise that he made with us. And David is confessing, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. God made me to have a shepherd. He made me for somebody to have my ear. And the Lord is, he's that voice. He is my shepherd. And then what's the next confession that David made? I have everything I want. <laughs> Can you say that today? Can you say I have everything that I want? If you can't, that's because somebody else has your ear. And they're telling you you still lack something. <clears throat> you still lack something spiritually. You still lack something materially. You still lack something physically. Somebody's in your head banging around in there. <clears throat> if it's not the shepherd, it's, if it's not the shepherd, it's going to be another shepherd. And listen, they're going to give you advice when you don't want it, when you don't need it, when you don't even ask for it. They're still going to be whispering seductive things in your ear. Somebody has got... <clears throat> your ear. You have a shepherd. And David says, you belong to him. He is yours and you are his. That's your identity. And there's plenty of people that will not only tell you what you're lacking, they'll show you what you're lacking. 
whatever social media platform. And I know whenever, whenever pastors talk about this, there's always a little bit of fear and trepidation that, man, people are going to take this as me wagging my finger at them and me judging them. Hopefully, you're not going to get any of that from me, but what you will get is me trying to be a good under-shepherd to you. He's the chief shepherd. I'm one of his under-shepherds. And I want, to t- I want to tell you something about your habits and the rhythm of your life, because I get this all the time as a pastor. There's like a season of sports where everyone in their family is involved in sports, and everybody wants to render an opinion on that, don't they? You should do this, or you shouldn't do this, or you should do this, but only so much, or you shouldn't do this, but only so much. And I want, to t- I want to tell you something that maybe call it a helpful formula from your pastor, okay? If, if you are never asking yourself questions like this, is this good for me? <laughs> is this t- taking my life in a trajectory where I'm in good spiritual and discipleship rhythms? Now, now hear me out. If you're not asking yourself those kinds of questions, you're being careless. I would even say borderline you're being foolish if you don't ask yourself those kinds of questions because somebody else is going to set the pace for your life. They are. There's somebody going to be whispering in your ear or showing you on a social media platform, this is what your life is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like my life. It's supposed to look like his life or her life. So we're, we're always going in seasons and rhythms where there's things on weekend, there's sports events to take your kids to, um, there's this game to go to, or there's this new series that's coming out. And if you're not asking yourself the kinds of questions, should I be involved in that? Is this good for me? How's this going to impact me? Is this spiritually nourishing to me? You've got to ask yourself the question, is this going to take me or put me in a pattern and rhythm where I am at, at green pastures and still waters? If you're not asking those kinds of questions, I think you're being careless and I think you're being foolish. Now, let me give you the other side of that before you get angry. If you're trying to answer that question for somebody else, be careful. Because <laughs> that's not your life. It's their life. And he's their shepherd. You're not. You can be a good Christian friend, and you can speak loving concern into somebody's life. And we should. We're a family. We're better together, right? Everybody needs a good Christian friend who will not stab them in the back, but stab them in the front, right? The Bible says that. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. And we all need somebody like that in our life to say, hey, bro, I love you. And I just want to ask, are you asking the question, is this good for you? Is this healthy for you? But if you're not asking yourself that question, you're being careless. Am I watching too much TV? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Am I looking at my phone too much? Is my phone doing something bad to me? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Am I on Facebook just a little too much? Are these voices impacting me negatively? If you're not asking yourself that question, friend, I'm telling you, you're being careless. You are being careless. But you better be careful who you ask to answer that question for you too. I was in a ministry where somebody was, seriously, somebody was trying to tell me that you should watch this much television per day and no more, and that you should only watch it. And they said, well, honestly, I believe that no Christian has any business having a TV bigger than 32 inches in their living room. Seriously. And this was, this, was our, this was our response. How big is your TV? And they're like, 30, 32 inches. <laughs> right? Because, hey, there's got to be a standard, right? <laughs> Legalism coming at you from all quarters. You need to ask that question of your, for yourself. Somebody has your ear. Somebody's showing you what the good life is. Is it lining up with Scripture? 
Paul David Tripp said this once. He said, nobody influences you more than you. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question. What are you telling yourself? <laughs> You're getting it, the influence from somewhere, right? So I just want us to be honest. I want us to be honest with ourselves. Man, some of the social media stuff, though. I remember when Facebook was just, just coming out. And Sarah and I, we couldn't have had very many kids because we were at the beach, you know. <laughs> but we were at the beach, and we were just enjoying, it was a beautiful sunny day, and I'll never forget this. A mom and an elementary-aged girl came to the beach, and man, they had all this stuff with them, a stack of stuff, and they were setting up. I'm like, oh, that's cool, man, they're going to be at the beach. And she got out her camera. I don't think there was iPhones. I don't know. She got out a camera device, okay, and she's like posing, I'm like, oh, well, maybe they're going to take family pictures. It wasn't family pictures. It was all selfies. All selfies. This mom was taking pictures of her and her daughter, and she put, like, sunscreen, just the white part on her nose, and they were posing by the sand for, like, 20 minutes, and the girl started getting aggravated. She's like, Mommy, I want to swim. Mommy, rub the sunscreen in. Mommy, let's play. And the mom's like, no, not yet. And she, for 20 minutes, took all these pictures, and then she packed up all that stuff, and the girl was screaming. She was crying. She was so sad, and she put it in the car, and she left. And in my mind, I know you can say, well, you're judging. You don't know. That's true. I don't know. But I got a pretty good guess what she did when she got home. She probably had a, a, Facebook, <laughs> a Facebook page or some type of social media, Instagram platform. I don't know. And she put, you know, hashtag blessed family, spend a day at the beach. Guys, most of the stuff you see out there that you're comparing yourself to, it ain't real anyway. Just being straight up. I heard a story the other day of a woman that watered a plant. Did you hear this? <laughs> she watered this plant for two years. Look, man, I even wrote this down so you know I'm not lying. This is what she said. Check this out. Because you can't make this up. I've had this beautiful plant for about two years now. This is a, a stay-at-home mom in California. For two years now, I was so proud. It was full, beautiful coloring. Just an overall perfect plant. I had it up in my kitchen window. I had a watering plan for it. I just wanted to keep good care of it. I absolutely loved my plant. I put so much love into this plant. I washed its leaves, tried my hardest to keep it looking its best, and it's completely plastic. She says, how did I not know this? It's sitting on styrofoam with sand glued to the top. I feel like these last two years have been a lie. It was all funny until I got to that last part, and I thought, man, that's really sad because that's a lot of people's life that they're comparing it to. You know, seriously, I got a watering plant. I'm taking good care of this. I want it to stay healthy and look good. And it's all a lie. It's just all a lie. Living your life, comparing it to something that's fictitious, completely fictitious. And that's our version of the good life. And David says, that's not the good life. The good life is you're on this path where Yahweh is your shepherd. And because he is your shepherd, you lack nothing. You have absolutely everything that you need everything that you need regardless of what the world or social media or Instagram or Facebook or your neighbor or even yourself is telling you it's just reading this morning in Colossians 128 it says him Christ him we proclaim warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom so that we can present them mature or perfect or a better translation is complete in Christ the Bible says you and I are complete in Christ Christ we lack nothing. We have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been given everything that we need. We, need, we lack nothing. 
Because the Lord is our shepherd, we have everything we need. That's the confession from the get-go that David makes here. There's a, uh, there's a book that's been written, and I, I would recommend this especially to all of you ladies. It's a great book. That's, uh, it just came out this year, and it's written by a woman named Jen Oshman by Crossway. And there was a podcast where she was being interviewed about this book. The name of the book is Enough About Me. Enough About Me. I mean, the title is gripping already, right? In, 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 a, in a culture that's obsessed with self, she wrote this book as a corrective measure. And I think it's really well written. Uh, just read the first chapter. But there was an interview that she did with Crossway. And I hope I, yeah, I have it here. Check this out. Because listen, some of the voices that you're going to hear um, are going to be self-help voices. Have you heard, you've heard that term. I've used it before, right? Self-help. You know what that is? Do you know what self-help is? It's, it's pointing yourself back to yourself for help. It's like the answer lies within you. Just conjure up, conjure up the energy, conjure up the, uh, the motivation, do more, do better, try harder, go further. You're awesome. You're crushing it. You're enough. That's the voice of self-help. And it's interesting to me that in 2020, did you know 60% of Americans believe that this phrase is in the Bible? God helps those who finish it. Help themselves. 60% of Americans believe that that's in the Bible. I have good news for you guys. It's not. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Not anywhere close. If that's true, that God helps those who help themselves, the Bible would end at Genesis 3 with us naked and afraid, hiding from God in a garden, waiting for help that would never come. Because Adam didn't run looking for God, if I remember my Genesis right. Did he? God came looking for him and Adam was hiding. And God had to clothe him because he used fig leaves to cover his own nakedness. Now the good news is that phrase is not in the Bible, but the bad news is it's in your heart and my heart. And listen, guys, you know, I used to just want to keep it real today. I, I want to keep it real every Sunday, but especially today, okay? When I was younger, you know, I used to think that satanic affliction and oppression, I thought it was like Ozzy Osbourne biting off bats' heads and records that you played backwards and Ouija boards and seances and cultic practices and devil worship. And look, those are bad things, okay? You should, probably shouldn't mess with any of those. But Satan's very clever. And he's very deceptive, and he's the father of lies, and he's very seductive. And you know, I have read where musicians, you can help me out with this. If you roll this baby grand piano out on the stage, and I walk in here and I have a good voice, maybe like Lindsay, okay? And I sing the C note. Do you know that the C string inside that piano vibrates? Did you guys know that? If somebody walks in here with a clear, strong, powerful voice and what's the C? I don't even know what the C note is. Blah! And you sing it and you hold it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all day. <laughs> that the, the string underneath that piano, the C string vibrates. So we're thinking Satan's like Ozzy Osbourne and seances and Ouija. Listen, Satan knows whatever string it is that's already inside your head banging around. That's the note he's going to sing, guys. That's the one. The self-help note is very strong in America. I think that one, all these books that are coming out, and some of them, listen, it, it, it saddens my heart to tell you this, that many of the self-help books that you're going to find at a Barnes & Noble and Books A Million and Amazon are published under a Christian pretense. 
that this is Christian literature. Well, Jan Oshman, she wrote this book as, as a corrective measure, and she said, this is baloney. And she did this interview, and this is a little bit, it's a longer quote, but I want you to listen to this, okay? This is not just for women. This is for men, too, because this is just as seductive of a temptation for men as it is for women. So check this out. The guy interviewing her said this. And the interview was called The Danger in Being a Self-Made Woman and the Problem with Empowerment. So check this out. Matt Tolley, he says, Right now, it seems like a big theme in our culture, and I think this is true for a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian books that are published, is that really what we need is just to believe in ourselves more. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds positive. Just believe in yourself. you got the power within you, right? Just, just conjure it up. Just get busy. Just do more, try harder, do better. And so he's saying, we need to just believe in ourselves more. We're not saying God isn't involved and God isn't important, but there's the need for us to have more confidence, for women in particular. The theme can be believing that you are strong, beautiful, powerful, and that you can be an agent of change in your own life. That seems like a very positive, very encouraging, very empowering message. What's so wrong with that? The interviewer asked her that wrote this book, and she says this. Check this out. She says, so it's sinister because there is a morsel of truth there. We do have a good God who made us in his image. So we are good, created beings, and the Lord mercifully made us. But there's so much more to that truth. We stop there and we go, yeah, a good God made me a good person. And so I'm going to try to do good things and come up with good results on my own. And we truncate the gospel. She says, in fact, we really turn it into a false gospel because we flip it upside down and we end up pursuing our self-sufficiency rather than pursuing the all-sufficiency of our Creator and our Redeemer. Now remember, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need, right? She says, it feels like the majority of materials that are made by and for women really speak to this. We've got throw pillows, coffee mugs, t-shirts, and conferences telling us, you are enough, you don't need more, it's all within you. Just reach down, dig deep, figure out who you are, and then get your cup of coffee and get your tribe and make it happen. Women are going to these conferences, she says, and they're reading these books, and they're getting totally jazzed up and super excited, and they're going for it for like 48 hours. And then they realize, the majority realize, actually, I can't, I can't keep making it happen. Then they fall off the wagon. They can't maintain, maintain that kind of capacity or that kind of energy to be self-made all the time. There are some who seem to be thriving, but the reality is when you are self-made, when you seek to be self-sufficient and you don't turn to your creator, then you're going to eventually run out of steam. We are not enough. We are sinful, finite human beings in need of the mercy and the kindness of our God who made us. So I feel like the message is totally toxic and it makes me angry. It drives me to write. It drives me to speak. It drives me to share with other women that this is a toxic message. What's she saying? She's saying this is bogus and a lot of people are buying it. This is the same seductive voice that whispered in the ear of Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. You could be so much more, Eve, if you ditch this whole obedience thing. Just go and be you. Eat that fruit. See, it's good. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's, it's desirable to make one wise. 
That's the seductive voice of the crafty serpent who's still whispering that stuff. And people are eating it up. People are eating it up. God is not holding out on you guys. He is not holding out on you. This is the good life right here in this psalm. It's the good life. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I have everything I need. Do you know the... If you, if you just want to, if you want to take a Christian message that just obliterates the whole self-help idea, just take the image of a sheep, <laughs> okay? A sheep. Now think, now think about that for a minute. God didn't say you're a tiger. Go get him, tiger! Roar! You're a lion. You're a stallion. You're a dragon. You're a bear. He didn't say any of those things. You're a sheep. Bah! <laughs> you're a sheep. You know what? Sheep need a shepherd, guys. It, if you're looking for an argument against, uh, against evolution, <laughs> um, sheep actually need a shepherd or they could die. Did you know that? They are utterly dependent upon a human being to help them. They're one of the most naive animals in the world. If they get afraid, they panic. They get lost in the most familiar of settings, like your pastor does. Seriously, I'll be driving along in the middle of Delana. Sarah's like, you missed your turn again. Where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. Sheep get lost. If they, if they get scared and they panic, they'll die. They'll walk off a cliff. They'll jump in a river. I mean, it's not, I just got to be honest, guys. It's not the most flattering animal imagery for us, okay? And it's not God trying to insult us. It's not. It's God, God will do whatever he has to do to drive us back to himself. Even if it's like, look, of all the things I could have created to remind you who you are and who I am, you're sheep, okay? You're sheep. But don't worry, you have the best shepherd in the world. How much does he love the sheep? How precious are these sheep to him? He laid down his very life. They're that valuable to him. And listen, you know what God wants for you? He wants you to be in green pastures where you're getting nourished, where you're not eating toxic garbage that this world is going to feed you. This self-help stuff, guys, that's not green pastures. That is like Roundup for you, okay? That's like the most toxic thing to you. No offense to any of you yard ninjas out there, all right? <laughs> it's not good for you. The shepherd knows what you need. In fact, I was doing a little digging around, a little poking around. Have you guys ever heard of Shrek the sheep? You know who this sheep is? This sheep actually did not like getting sheared. He lived in New Zealand. He was sick of it. He was over shear time. He's like, you know what? Not today. Not today. So he ran off from his, from his owner in New Zealand, and he hid in the rocks and the caves all over New Zealand for six years. Six years he hid. And finally Shrek, man, just had enough. <laughs> and he tried to find his way home, but he couldn't. Because you know what? Sheep get lost in even the most familiar places. And they found him shivering on the side of the road, malnourished, dehydrated, and his... The lanolin and his wool was so dirty and his wool was so thick he couldn't walk. And they took Shrek home and they sheared him up and he was good to go. And I guarantee you, he ran away the very next time it was still. <laughs> because that's how sheep are. We're wayward and we don't learn, right? But think about that. How humbling, not humiliating, there's a difference. How humbling is that imagery that you and I are sheep. Sheep get very skittish. Do you know the imagery here? It's... We need still water. In Hebrew, that word is translated in other places in the Old Testament, restful waters. Do you know that sheep are so afraid? They get so thirsty, but they're afraid of like 
rapidly moving water. So do you know what a shepherd would do? A shepherd would actually go beside a white water, you know, uh, a stream, a brook. He would pick up big boulders and he would throw them in the water and make this quiet, serene little, I don't know what the word is, not lagoon, a uh, little pool. Yeah, a little quiet, still, tranquil, serene pool so that the sheep could safely wade in the water and get the nourishment and quench their thirst. That's the imagery of what God does. This, just life comes at us so hard, so fast, we're so busy, we're so overwhelmed, we're so anxious. Somebody's, in your, somebody's got your ear. And if they're not taking you to these quiet, restful waters, and if they're not feeding you this nourishing, lush pasture, grass, that's not toxic, man, you need to ask yourself, what am I doing? Who's in my head that I got to get out and I got to turn it off? Whatever it is, guys, it's worth it. Get radical. <laughs> I usually don't like saying that, but get radical with this. It's worth it. This is the good life, and you've got to turn off those toxic voices wherever they're coming from and put the good stuff in. So I appreciate that book that Jen Oshman wrote, and I appreciate this imagery in this psalm. Self-help is, it's a lie. And we have a good shepherd, and he has done everything that we needed him to to feed us. And to quench our thirst. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Some of you listen to talk radio. And that, that can be helpful at times. And I listen to it every now and then. I'm trying to pick up on some local news. But listen guys, I have never in my life. Have you ever in your life heard a talking news pundit. A talk, seen a talking head on the, on the TV. Or heard a talking voice on talk news radio, have you ever heard them say, look, relax, everything's fine, everything's going to be great, God's on his throne, the good shepherd is going to take, have you ever heard that ever? No, maybe like five minutes after their candidate got elected, they're like, yeah, hey, it's a great day, isn't it? And they're like, well, back to the panic stuff. <laughs> Seriously, they get paid. It's a billion dollar industry, man. So is self-help. And by the way, have you ever noticed thousands of more self-help books are going to come out this year? Do you ever wonder about the ones last year? You know why more are coming out this year? Because the ones last year didn't work. They did not work. They didn't work. And most of those books are just filled with new laws anyway. Last year they told you to do this, 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 and this, and that didn't work. And this year they got more stuff for you to do. Or more things to stop doing, right? That's how it works. Well, I got a slide for you here, guys. And we're not, probably won't get very far into this, uh, Man, I want to be a good shepherd to you. You know, I used to meet with, with young men a lot, a lot more than I do now. I had more time and I could counsel them. And I started to see a theme. I used to meet with, with young men when I was a college pastor for five years. And you can imagine the, the one sin, the one temptation, the one snare that a lot of those young men got caught up with was lust and, and, and pornography. And it was really interesting, this one group of, of guys that hung out together and they were supposed to be keeping each other accountable. It wasn't working for them. It wasn't working. And I found something really interesting. I don't know why. It took me years later looking back. But I asked these guys, I'm like, look who, I mean, you go to this, this church, so you're listening to the pastors here, but is there anyone else that you read or you, you listen to? And they're like, oh, yeah, it wasn't this guy. And it was the same person. And this guy, this guy is, he's a Christian, and, he, and he's got a, a, a very big ministry, a big platform. Um, but he is known for like just really, he yells, he screams, he seems angry. All of his messages, if, if I could just summarize them, it would be like, you got to do better. You got to do better. And you got to do more. They were all like, this guy was in their head. 
He was loud. He was angry. He was aggressive. He was radical. And man, I wish I would have had the wherewithal to see it and tell them at the time. And I'm like, man, can I just ask you, just time out. So this guy's in your head banging around and it's helping none of you, none of you conquer this problem with lust. You've got to ask yourself, why? Is this guy helping you? I know he's a Christian. He's using the Bible. He's using parts of the Bible. But is this good for you? Because I have found in Christian ministry, there's some voices that may even be Christian voices. They just may be misguided and unbalanced. And they're in your head and you are just consistently feeling guilt all the time. All the time. And look, I want to give you permission as your pastor. I mean, you're here, you're listening to me and I appreciate it. I do. But a lot of you get supplemental teaching from other places. Uh, if that is not taking you to green pastures and feeding you in those lush green pastures and quenching your thirst besides still waters, if you need a Christian pastor to give you permission to just turn that off, you have it. Turn it off. Okay. Turn it off. If it's toxic and telling you you've got to be more or do more or be this or be that, and it's, especially if it's not lining up with Scripture and it's just threats and yelling and anger and fear, fear and guilt and shame, that's not helping anybody. That's not helping anybody, especially if they never get to the gospel. It's not going to help you at all. And I have found that, that young men that are, that are that's, that's a trap. They feel trapped. Because they already feel guilty. They're not doing what that guy told them to do. And now they feel ashamed so they can't tell anybody about it. So they have to come and talk to their college pastor and talk to nobody else about it. It was just really interesting to me. When we're talking about who's got your ear, who's inside your head, if it's an angry Christian voice, you need to ask yourself, is this good for me? Is this quiet waters? Is this making me more anxious or less anxious? That's a good question to ask yourself. Is this comforting me? Is this restoring me? Is this restoring me? Because this shepherd is pointing the sheep and his pastor on right paths. Listen, somebody has your ear and they're pointing you down a path. And I would ask you, where's that path taking you? Is it taking you to a place of deeper fear, deeper shame, deeper anxiety, telling you to get all radical in this area, in this area, in this area, that you are finding like the good life, the abundant life where there's fruit, where there's obedience, where you're growing, where you're becoming more and more like Christ, where there's this, there's this, this fundamental uh, confidence when you look into the future. God wants you to have that kind of life, guys. That's what it really means to fear the Lord. I know that's a term that's gotten a lot of uh, confusion over the years. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So no, God is for you. He is for you. And he's with you. And when you're a Christian, he's within you. You have the Spirit of God. Greater is he, 1 John 4, 4, that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus says, I've come so that they have, may have life and so they may have it more abundantly. And a lot of these voices that we listen to, man, they're just, they're stripping our gears. And it's like we're on this endless cycle where the hamster, you've heard the, the, the word picture, you're like in a hamster wheel, man, and it's non-ending. One of my favorite books is Look and Live by Matt Papa. And he wrote this. He was the worship leader for J.D. Greer's church, Summit Church. He said this. We live in the most fast-paced, work-obsessed, information-obese, non-stop culture that has ever existed. The 21st century is an incubator of hysteric busyness. We go from place to place, from thing to thing, from dream to dream. We have cultural ADD, a poverty of attention, a complete societal inability to stabilize ourselves upon one thing. And it's true. 
That's why people live on monster energy drinks and they text while they drive. Seriously. It's, it's, it's like they would rather put their life and somebody else's life in jeopardy because they're just crazy busy. They haven't, they're not making time to do what this psalm tells us to do. I read the story of somebody who moved to America who barely spoke any English. And she was finally asked to introduce herself. And she greeted the, the Americans. She said, I am busy. And they're like, pardon me? She said, I am busy. I am very busy. And they're like, well, what are you doing? She said, well, I have been in your nation for two months. And that seems to be traditional greeting in America. Because <laughs> that's all she heard. She was asking for help. Like, hey, can you help me find? They're like, I'm so busy. I'm very busy. I'm very busy. I'm crazy busy. <laughs> that's like the trajectory we're on some of the times. It's like, man, God wants, God wants us to hit the pause button sometimes. And say, you know what? I'm turning this off. I'm turning this off. I'm tuning this out. And I need God to be my shepherd right now. And I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say, Lord, show me your power today. Show me your grace. Show me your strength. Show me Jesus. Show me my sin. Take me to the still water so that I can rest. Take me to the green pastures so that I can feed. And help all this other garbage to get put in its proper place. Sometimes that's just, that's what we need. That's how we combat the anxiety and the fear and the panic. You guys are being super quiet today. Is this landing? Is this, is this making sense? I hope this is not a hard message. This is good news, guys. This, look, whatever life it is that we're living, that's, that, that's, this is threatening, this is better. I promise you. This is a better life. I want to be in those... Well, no, not those. <laughs> I, want, I want to be in that pasture. I want to drink in that river. I want to experience the kind of fearlessness and peacefulness and serenity and tranquility that this sheep is experiencing. So... The question today is, who's got your ear? And next week, we're going to ask another question. Who's got your back? Because that's what we all want, right? We want protection. Has somebody got me? Am I covered? Am I insured? Am I protected? Is somebody watching out for me? Does somebody really have me? Because we're suspicious. We're looking over our shoulder. We're not trusting people. We're cynical. And this psalm's going to answer that too. But for just for today, um, the answer is, or the question rather is, who's, who's got your ear? And it's got to be the good shepherd. That's the last. I quoted it earlier, but let's, let's close with this. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 9, okay? And we can just get still and get quiet for a minute and just let this, let this truth from the lips of Christ wash over us. This is what Jesus says to you and to I. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's talking about, I'm the door to the flock, to the sheep, the shepherd analogy. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life. That they is you and me, by the way. I came so that they may have life and so that they may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good? Isn't that the best news in the world? You know, the, the declaration, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Do you know what the greatest need that you and I have ever had is? Having our sins forgiven. Somebody taking the penalty that we deserve for disobeying God, for breaking His commandments, for going our own way, for ignoring His glory, for ignoring His honor, 
and living life on our terms and not his. The greatest need we have is for somebody to take our place, take the punishment, absorb the wrath and judgment of God, and give us their righteousness. And that's what Jesus did. And he said, because of that, you are most welcome in the presence of God again. The way is wide open. He's the good shepherd. He made the way. He laid down his life so that you and I can be cleansed, so that we can be justified, declared blameless, have our guilt, have our shame removed, and so that we could come into the pasture and be one of his sheep and not live the rest of our life in fear and guilt and anxiety. Amen? Do you know this shepherd? Is that your experience? Are you living the good life? Don't you want to? Let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these truths, for these promises. And I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a polished pastor. Lord, I know it's, it's, it's clumsy even talking about these things. I pray something stuck. If it was a sentence, if it was a quote, if it was just the last passage we read from John chapter 10, I pray that uh, it resonated with your sheep today, God. And if there's anybody here who is not yet in your flock, I pray, Lord, please bring the Holy Spirit's work of conviction deep into their heart today. Pray they would sense that they are not right with you. And the Bible also says in the Old Testament that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned aside to our own ways. We've ran away from God. And yet your mercy and your love is that you pursue us, Lord. That's grace. You have chased after us. You have shown us our sin. You have shown us your saving ability and your desire to restore us. And so I pray, Lord, you would capture the hearts of every person here, whether they're a believer and need to be forgiven, or whether they're, or whether they're an unbeliever and need to be forgiven, or whether they're a believer, Lord, and they're just riddled with guilt and anxiety today and fear. Bring them into your pasture. Bring them to green, lush meadows, Lord, that are grassy. Bring them to the restful, quiet waters. May their soul feel refreshed. May they feel restored. May they have renewed confidence and the peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that you are the good shepherd, Lord. You left the lofty throne room in heaven and you came down in an unspeakable act of, of incarnational power and you became a human being and you know what it's like to be a human, to be tired, to be attacked, to have enemies, to be persecuted, to be chased, to be threatened, even to die, Lord. So may we know we do not have a high priest who is not sympathetic to our needs and our weaknesses. And may we use this time to just talk to you, be honest with you, get real with you, confess to you. Come and meet us exactly where we're at today, Lord. May the good news of the gospel wash over us in new and powerful and fresh ways. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.